Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Voices of the Community, an Indie Star podcast where we feature people who impact the city of Indianapolis and or our state of Indiana. My guest for this episode is Nichelle M. Hayes, interim CEO of Indianapolis Public Library. Hayes is an Indianapolis native I am. and graduate of Arlington High School. Go Golden Knights. <laughs> she served as president and treasurer of the Indiana Black Librarians Network and is president of the Black Caucus of the American Library Association. BCALA proud. Woo-woo. <laughs> Hayes was recognized by the Library Journal as a mover and shaker in 2021. Mover and shaker. <laughs> and she is transitioning off of the board of the NAACP. As if that's not enough, she is also a genealogist. Um, in March, the library board named Hayes' interim CEO. She began April 2nd repra- replacing John Helen who was named interim CEO after longtime library uh, CEO Jackie Needis resigned amidst controversy. Hayes began her career with the library in 2015 when the library opened the Center for Black Literature and Culture at Central Library, also known as CBLC, in 2017. Hayes led the charge. In fact, she was the founding director of CBLC until being named interim CEO. Welcome, Nichelle. Thank you so much, Ashia. I appreciate you. How are you doing today? I am good. I am buzzing because there's always something to do. And I always am constantly checking my calendar to make sure I'm on track and on task. But I'm doing good and I'm excited about the work. Well, thank you. Thank you for being a guest on the podcast. I know how busy you are. So I was like, we got her. (laughs) (laughs) I would do anything to support you and the work you're doing in the community. Uh, I respect you. I appreciate you. And um, we're all we have. And so we have to support each other. Thank you so much. So before we get started on your current position, which is a big deal, um, and how you got there, let's go back. I want to go back to the Center for Black Literature and Culture. Um, which you led, as I said earlier, you're the founding director. Um, what led to the creation of the Center for Black Literature and Culture? So former leadership here uh, at the library had an idea about having an area in the library that was focused on um, African-Americans and African-American culture. Um, a lot of different ideas were tossed around, uh, focusing on Mari Evans, uh, doing other focal points. We went around uh, the city and reached out to different stakeholders to get their support. People were very excited about the opportunity. And then uh, a grant proposal was submitted to Lilly Endowment. And Lilly Endowment uh, supported us and gave us a huge chunk of money for the first five years. And that's what catapulted us. Uh, And so it was just something on paper and we took it from paper and made it uh, alive and thriving. 
and it was an honor to do so. And I'll be very honest to say, when I applied for the position, I just said, oh, I'm just going to be a librarian in this little room, and I'm going to have some books, and we're going to have some programs, and it's going to be great. But it was much, much more than that. But I just didn't see it uh, when I stepped into it initially. Okay, yeah, that thing is way bigger than... (laughs) And I was just, when I was in the lobby, I just saw an upcoming event in November. Yes. I don't know uh, if you want to plug that a little bit. We we do have our um, fifth anniversary that's coming up, and that's in October, and we're excited about that. And so we're hoping to have a library luminary come to speak to us, but we're still working on that. Okay. But when I look back on these last five years, it was literally just a whirlwind. And what I learned from it is that people were thirsty for this content. Mm-hmm. They were thirsty to come together in community. And they wanted to know more about the African diaspora. In our opening in, in October of 2017, we were literally wall to wall. Like when you look at it now in the lens of COVID, it just mm-hmm. looks like surreal mm-hmm. because literally there was no room uh, in between us. We were just shoulder to shoulder. People were so happy to be there. Uh, we were drummed in by Kabir's storyteller drummers. Roland S. Martin was our keynote speaker. Uh, he was live streaming on us on all of his platforms. Before and that was even a thing. Before it was even a thing, <laughs> exactly. But I knew in my head, I said, that's what I want mm-hmm. because he's going to get the word out. Mm-hmm. And my big, hairy, audacious goal, BHAG, was for this to be the best in the nation. And I knew for that to happen, people had to know about it. And I can remember the week before me telling my manager at the time, you know, I, I don't know if we're going to have enough seats. I don't know if it's going to be, you know, enough. And they were like, oh, you'll be fine. You know, we've had other people here and it wasn't filled. You know, it'll be fine. And the day of, we were bursting at the seams. I didn't even have a seat. I sat on the floor. I sat on the steps. Wow. Yeah, wow, it was a well, great problem. That leads me to my next question of why do you think CBLC was and is so necessary? I think it's the time. I think it was ready. Uh, we're ready for a time such as this. People are thirsty for their history. It's been erased in so many capacities. People want to see themselves in powerful and impactful ways. And that's what the CBLC has been. We do that with our collection, be it digital or physical. We do that with our programs. We do that with our speakers. We do that with the images uh, that are in the space and especially the images that are focusing on Indiana. Because something I was very intentional about when I was working with the the team and lots of uh, different departments here at Indianapolis Public Library helped to make that uh, a reality. But I wanted people to look up into the windows, especially young people, and say to themselves, wow, that person is from Indiana and they did X. So that means I can do why whatever Mm -hmm. they want to do not to say that they're going to do what that person did Mm -hmm. in the windows but that they could do something that they're just as special just as capable and being from indiana does not limit you and so um people have taken that to heart and been very much inspired also when we went to the schomburg uh in new york in harlem something that they said to us is you've got to promote your own because if you don't promote your own no one else will and so we definitely wanted to shine that light on local people and so in the end of this month i will be interviewing uh mrs universe and that is juanita brown ingram Uh, She went to Tennessee State University. She lived in Indiana for a time, and she was Mrs. Indiana. 
And uh, now she lives in Singapore, and she was Mrs. Singapore, and she's gone on to be Mrs. Universe. And so she's agreed to an interview, so we're very excited. So just hardworking dedication will do a lot um, to open up the world, and that's what I want to show people. That's awesome. That is awesome. So what I was talking about in November, though, is um, one of the exonerated five coming. So there's so much going on. It's hard to keep up. Yes, (laughs) uh, that is happening in November. And that um, is coming out of the African-American History Committee. And so the African-American History Committee is the longest standing committee within the Indianapolis Public Library. And so for decades, they have been doing the work. They've been bringing in Nikki Giovanni, Maya Angelou, James Baldwin. You know, before being woke was woke. Uh, (laughs) They have been doing that work. And so uh, that is going to be happening in November. So it's really hard to keep up on all the amazing yes. things we're doing, but um, it's a great problem to have. I know it is. Um, and you recently, because when you talked about when you first opened everybody wall to wall, the space is different now. It is. And different. so talk a little bit just about what how the space has changed, because it's a bigger space now. So our space, uh, I think one of the great things about the space is that. We kept the bones, we kept the structure of the reading room and augmented it. So when you walked into the space, you saw uh, the pictures in the window. You saw Vivica Fox, uh, you saw Oscar Robertson, you saw Julia Carson, you saw Judge Tanya Walton Pratt, and on and on and on. And then you also saw the uh, pictures around uh, the perimeter of the room. And we've added to that and added a kiosk. And so that was in um, kind of production or in our heads before COVID. And when COVID stopped everything, Mm -hmm. the great thing that came out of that was that we want to be able to reach people even if our doors are closed. And so we added to the kiosk and said it will be a web component that will mirror what's in the kiosk. So even if you're you know, halfway around the world, you can tap into what's in the kiosk and learn about uh, black culture here in Indianapolis and around the world. Wow. And so wow. we've been able to do that. So it's been very, very exciting. We have a new uh, service mark. And so we're focusing on uh, young talent. Um, and so there's just a lot of great things happening. Sounds like it. Definitely sounds like it. So now let's talk about your current role. Sure. The library went through some controversy in 2021. Previous leadership was accused of racism, sexism, and ableism, among other issues. Uh, Jackie Needis resigned in August 2021, and John Helen became interim CEO in September 2021. You became interim CEO, or you were named interim, well, no, you became CEO in April. April uh, the 1st, yeah. Yes, that was my the, first day. The board named you CEO in um, Correct. March, right? So that's a lot of movement for an organization that had been pretty stable since uh, 2011, right? Um, So how are you working to move the library forward? So first of all, I'll say that I am honored that the board entrusted me uh, as interim CEO. I appreciated the work that John Helling did to help us during that time of transition. And so he really was trying to move us forward by having town halls, by being open to listening to staff. And then what I tried to do is take the baton and move it farther Mm -hmm. uh, down. And Mm -hmm. so what my focus is, I have three buckets that I'm focused on, compensation, capacity, and wellness. Compensation is that we need to increase the compensation for our staff because Mm -hmm. based on a compensation study, we are below market. So people are not being paid what they should be. 
In addition to that, we need more staff. Uh, we're stretched very, very thin. And even though we have amazing, talented staff, you can only just do so much mm -hmm. with the time that you mm -hmm. have. So you want to ease that burden. And then wellness. Uh, I've been on a wellness journey for a while. And so if you... Um, have an empty pitcher, you cannot pour out to anyone else. And so I see wellness as a pitcher that you've just got to keep on pouring into yourself. Otherwise, you're not able to do anything else. That's a so good visual. I, I try I to stress that. I might start using that. that for myself. Please do. Please do. <laughs> so I try to do that. And I try not to just say it, but to act it out. Mm -hmm. So when people are off, I try to encourage them to be off and not mm -hmm. to be checking email mm -hmm. and, you know, let the person that's standing in for you stand in for you. And we just want to have a culture shift in that manner so that people can sustain themselves. That's a good shift. Now, are you, when you're off, are you off? <laughs> so I'm trying very, very hard. Uh, I will say that I took kind of an extended holiday and I did not check NDPL email on Sunday or Monday. Well, good for so you. I had two days that were totally dark. Uh, that's what uh, our new uh, interface uh, told me that you were totally quiet on those days you were off. So I was quite proud of myself. Good for you. I know that was a big accomplishment. It was. <laughs> so many people don't think of, of the library as a multi-million dollar corporation um, since you're a government entity. Uh, but in essence, that's what you are. The library's budget for 2022 is $72,128,200. Yes. That's a lot of money. That's nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> um, there are 24 library locations and there will be 26, correct? That is correct. We're going to be opening up uh, Fort Benjamin Harrison, which will okay. be totally new. And it's been 30 years in the works. That's another wow. conversation for another day. And then <laughs> Glendale, uh, it will be a new location. Right now, Glendale is in uh, the Glendale Mall. And so this will be the new standalone okay, location. Okay. So it's exciting. Wow. So again... This is nothing to sneeze at what you're doing here. So the fact that you could take a couple of days off is amazing. First of all, <laughs> it was a quiet day. So that made it a little bit easier. So, well, the library should be quiet, shouldn't it? No. <laughs> I was just talking to a couple of coworkers about that because we were talking about the surge of study rooms. And I was saying, well, 20 years ago, study rooms weren't a thing. And then it just occurred to me, well, they weren't a thing because the whole library was quiet. Yes. But now that's, you know, anything can happen and people are talking. And so people do still want that quiet place to study. Yes, they do. So you kind of talked a little bit about your buckets that you already have. So what does the CEO of a library this size, like, what do you do on a day-to-day -day basis? I know your day is probably not the same every day. I don't like that question of give me a day in the life because sure. it's never the same. But like, what do you do? So people kind of get an idea of what this means. So part of what I'm doing right now is to go out and talk to staff members. I want um, staff members to feel like they can come to me. Uh, they can ask questions. Uh, they can voice concerns. And I will be responsive. Mm -hmm. I won't be able to solve everything. Uh, and sometimes I don't even have an answer. But what I will say to them is, I'm not sure, and I'll come back to you. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to reestablish trust. Mm -hmm. And we're, I'm doing that by listening and then acting upon things that people are asking us for. So, for example, um, weather. We know that here in central Indiana, uh, in the winter, it can get really, really dicey. Mm -hmm. So we have determined that by midnight – we are going to determine if we will close or not if there's inclement weather. 
That will allow our staff to know I've got to get up and get going or I can hunker down at home because we have some staff members who are starting their shifts at 6 a.m. Because we have shipping and receiving and they are our distribution, kind of the lifeblood of the organization. And so they're moving our materials throughout the system. And so they start very, very early and they might be coming in at five. So you can't make those decisions late. So we want staff to know that we are concerned about them. We care about their safety and their well-being just for them being humans, not just for what they can do for the library. Well, and that's just a little thing, but it means a lot. You know, it's those little things I think that when when your boss pays attention to and thinks about and cares about people, people feel respected and honored in their jobs Um, because that makes a huge difference of figuring out what you're going to do the next day. I totally agree. And because I was boots on the ground and working alongside people, I went through those same things. Can I get out of my house? How slick is it going to be? What's it going to be like when I get to work? What's it going to be like when I leave work? Is it going to be even worse? All of that. (laughs) Um, And so because I have had that lived experience, I see things in a different way, Mm -hmm. perhaps, Mm -hmm. than other CEOs. Uh, I'm a third generation native of Indianapolis, uh, grew up on the east side, and um, we came here during the Great Migration. Uh, I come from humble beginnings. Uh, my greatest blessings is my family and my extended family and my church family. Uh, they pretty much told me I could do anything, whether they really believed it or not. They <laughs> said it. Uh, I did my little uh, Easter speech and... They were like, oh, my gosh, she's the speech. best thing since sliced bread. And so I had that confidence to mm-hmm. go out into the world. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm just trying to pour some of that into other people. Easter speech, that brings back good childhood memories. So what are were some of the things that surprised you about this huge organization and maybe some challenges unexpected or expected that you've encountered? So it was interesting. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you kind of the timeline. So on Sunday, uh, before the board meeting, I was in my old, at my old desk working on things, just trying to make things happen. And I really had no idea that I would be appointed or picked. I said, you know, it, it could be anyone's game. And I said then that whoever get selected, I would support them 110%. And I, I was, I really meant that. And so I'm working on things, working on things. Then the next day, uh, John Helling uh, sends me a text and then he says, you got the job. And I was like, Hmm, okay. Did I? Okay. <laughs> and then a couple of hours went by and then he said something else that made me think, Oh, he was really serious. Like that wasn't like, you know, I don't know, a dream or a joke mm-hmm. or something. And then that evening, (laughs) right. And then that evening, you know, I went before the board. They told me. And then by that Friday, I was in the position. Wow. So it was literally a four-day transition. Wow. Uh, And so coming in and what I try to look at it as is not that I'm responsible for 577 people, and that's how many employees we have, but that I uh, just need to be attuned to my direct reports and also take Uh, all of those individuals into account. And so I just try to focus on my bucket. Uh, I try to focus on the big rocks. Uh, I took a Covey class many, many years ago, and that was one of the big things that stuck out to me. Focus on the big rocks, because if you don't, those little rocks will clog everything up and you won't get the things that you really need to get done. Mm -hmm. And so that why that is, again, compensation, capacity, and wellness. And I like to always just try to redirect myself so I can make sure that I'm on the right path. And so definitely uh, hard work. 
definitely some late nights, definitely some multitasking, uh, because we're open seven days a week, depending on which branch it is. Mm-hmm. And so lots of things happen. You know, there might be a pipe burst. Uh, there might be an AC that's out. And you've got to respond to all that. Obviously, we have great employees that are doing wonderful uh, wonderful work, uh, world class. They are compassionate, they're caring, they're smart, they're committed. And so, again, I'm just trying to support them so they can do the best uh, work possible. Uh, but it is uh, it is a lot. And so that was, so was that a surprise? Just how the, I guess, the weight of it all, did that kind of come to you as a, like, a, like you said, 500 plus employees? I don't think I was surprised okay. by it because I'm within the system. Mm-hmm. So obviously I was just in charge of just a little nugget, uh, but it's different when you're sitting in the seat and you have the responsibility. And so I definitely feel that responsibility and that weight and that people are depending on you to do a good job. And did you look at, because um, I know when I think about becoming a rep- an editor from a reporter, you don't see the big picture because you don't know the whole story, even even then you still don't know the whole story sometimes. But did it change your perspective, too, of just how when you were thinking, oh, a couple years ago, oh, if I was the CEO, I would do it this way. They should do it this way. Or now you're kind of like, well, geez, there's more to it than makes it, you know. <laughs> so, so I'll be very honest and say I never thought a couple of years ago I'm going to be CEO. That, that was never uh, part of my uh, rationale or anything I was thinking about. But I am able to go 50,000 feet. I Mm -hmm. am able to take a a higher level. And because of my leadership roles and those various organizations that you talked about, I do have that experience. Mm -hmm. And so that made it not something that was totally uncomfortable. Uh, It was just a matter of getting a cadence and understanding that this is a marathon and not a sprint. Mm. And so um, I said before when I was uh, working with the CBLC that at the end of that, I wanted to be able to continue to string sentences together. (laughs) So I didn't want to work so hard that like you've lost yourself and you just kind of destroyed your, your, your mind or your, your, your heart. And so just keeping that balance is something that's really, really important. And so I try to be balanced and I try to encourage my staff members to be balanced. And that's another reason why I'm really pushing for increased capacity so they can take that time off and really renew and and, and rest. So I I was going to ask about goals, but I think your goals are your compensation capacity and wellness. Exactly. Do you have like smaller goals that you're focused on? I don't have any smaller goals. I think, again, my big, hairy, audacious goal is for us to be an employer of choice for central Indiana. When we have openings, I would like people to say, hey, they're hiring at the library. You want to go over there. They treat their people well. It's a good uh, atmosphere. They've got great workers. You want to be a part of that organization and what they're doing. That's really my my big dream. Okay. I would say that's a huge goal, but a great goal. I think we can do it. I think it's very feasible. And I think it's um, just making changes uh, to the culture we have, what it takes with our employees. That's that's the biggest part of it. Um, They do phenomenal work uh, to support lifelong learning in the city of Indianapolis every day in little ways, in big ways. Um, For example, uh, this spring, there was a fire at an apartment complex right next to Central. 
uh, which is on St. Clair in between um, Illinois mm-hmm. and Meridian. And, you know, those people obviously were frightened. You know, they left their homes, many of them just with what was on their back. They came to the library. Staff members were helping them, giving them water, just giving them a place to just, okay, let me just sit down and figure it out. And we were there as a community partner because we cared. So it didn't have anything to do with books. It didn't have anything to do with door count. It just had to do with connection and with people. And so every day we're doing those things. People are looking for jobs. People are trying to find something on the internet. People are looking for a book from their childhood and we're making those connections every day. And people don't always understand that, but we are here uh, to serve the public. We're a third place. And that means we're not work or home, but a place where you can come and gather be it formally or informally. People go to our branches all the time. They just hang out. Maybe they're reading. Maybe they just want a, a quiet space to be. And we're we're excited to be that for the community. It's like libraries are a best kept secret, but not. You know, because as you're talking, I'm thinking about my childhood and libraries and how much libraries mean to me. <laughs> of course. And, and most of us have like a great memory from our childhood. So I said before, I'm a native of Indianapolis, grew up on the east side. So the Emerson branch was my home branch. I can remember walking my little feet up those stairs and getting books and just thinking the whole world was inside that branch. Yeah. And uh, talking to my librarian, who was Miss Ruby, I felt like she was my librarian, just there for me. <laughs> and back then you had to give a book report when you did summer reading and then you got like a prize at mm-hmm. the end, you got a medal. And I can remember sitting in the chair, swinging my feet, giving my book report and her listening to me like I was the most important person in the world. And my mother taking me, you know, to get me my library card and that starting my love of reading and knowledge and inquiry. And we're here for the public and your tax dollars pay for the services for the library. So we're here to help you. Uh, we don't just have physical books, but we have digital books. We have programs that are online. Wait a minute, have, wait a minute. You're getting ahead of my I, questions. You're getting okay, ahead of sorry. my questions. You're getting I get excited questions. about what we have. I'm, yeah, because I was going to say, we could talk about libraries all day long and the love of the library here. Uh, <laughs> but I, I have a I have a question about the evolution. Sure. So I want to I want to like get into that good. Um, so my last question about about this before we get into the love of libraries is um, the board is looking for a permanent CEO. Um, it's been a while now. Do you have any timeline on how much longer that process will be? So I'll be open and transparent because that's who I am as a person. I have submitted uh, my resume to be uh, included as someone as part of the search. What they're looking at is that hopefully we'll have someone in place by January of 2023. So it's just a couple of months away. And, you know, I'm excited about uh, the future uh, for the Indianapolis Public Library. As I said, we have amazing staff. They're doing amazing work every day. And so I just want us to be able to support them so they can continue to do that amazing work. Okay. And so we'll be looking for that um, permanent CEO in January. Yes. All right. So back to the love of libraries here. So you're talking about your childhood with libraries and I'm thinking about mine growing up in Muncie, walking to my library, Maring Hunt, where that's when you could walk by yourself mm-hmm. and my mom would say, be back by this time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I would walk to the library, which was by my elementary school. And it's a closed branch now. Um, well, no, it was a Maring library. I think Maring Hunt became a, 
uh, combination. But anyway, so just I spend a lot of my days in the library. Um, when you talk about gathering place, I used to go there just to hang out. Uh, you know, <laughs> tells you a lot about <laughs> tells you a lot about me and books. I would go to hang out. It was a place where my son used to go and wait for me to come home to get off work. When it happens was, a lot when he was uh, when he was uh, in elementary school. Um, I still hang out at the library on occasion, but not nearly as much as I used to because things have changed. Um, but libraries are very near and dear to me. Um, they have changed significant, significantly over the years, but the core of what libraries do hasn't changed. Um, so talk a little bit about the evolution of libraries because you already get into that. Now there's, there's, you know, you can pick up a book from the library at home. You know, you can just, you don't have to ever physically go into the building, but the buildings are still there. There's just a lot. And I think people don't often think about how much libraries do in the community. Like you mentioned jobs, you're searching for jobs. So just talk about a little bit about the evolution. So um, we do a lot and we do have outreach. Uh, We do have a service where we can actually take books to people that are homebound who can't get out. And we, they put down the books that they want. We pull them out for them. People drop them off, come back, return, and repeat. Um, We also have databases, as I said, online. So there's a saying that if you want a lot of answers, go to the Internet. But if you want the right answer, go to a librarian. Okay, library people. And so you can call (laughs) us. uh, You can uh, email us and ask us questions. You can even text us. So we are information professionals. I did not know this. Yeah, yeah. I did not know this. You're going to get a lot of people calling the library now. Well, that's what we want. That's what we want. We're information professionals. And for thousands of years, information was basically transmitted via books and paper. But now that is different now. We've got computers. We've got databases. And so we have all of those things. So when you're working on papers, when you just wonder, why does this happen? What is it about this? Go to your library, get a library card, and that will open up all of these things. You can even um, access a subscription to the New York Times with your library card here uh, at Indianapolis Public Library. And you can also do LinkedIn learning. So I could literally talk. Yes, literally, (laughs) I could talk for the next two hours about what we have. And I would say to you, to anyone who's listening, call your closest library if you want to learn about the resources. If you want to come us to come to a homeowners association, a club meeting, uh, your worship center, your community center, we can come and tell you about the things we have, and then we can also uh, sign you up for library cards. So that's the key to unlocking the door. It is a very underutilized resource. I would say we could definitely utilize it more. There's there's a lot of untapped energy there, and we're really uh, doing a lot to serve the community. Well, and this leads into my final question. What is something or are some things you want people to know about our public library system in Indianapolis? I want them to know that it's here for you. It's here for everybody. It's here for kids. It's here for even babies that aren't uh, reading yet. We have a bunny book bag. So you can take a bag of books home. There's no time frame. You turn it in when you turn it in. They're board books, so they're sturdy. And so we just want to open up that love of reading early. And so then obviously we have things for kids. We have the summer reading program. That's for kids and adults, which is very, very exciting. We have things for seniors. We have computer classes. 
we have art displays. Meet the Artists uh, is in its, I want to say, 36th year. And Tony Radford is the founder of that, and he is now retired. So he is our emeritus artist in residence. And so we have been putting out art uh, to the community for many, many years. So it's almost like what doesn't the library do? Mm. And that would be a shorter conversation. So <laughs> we do amazing things and we have amazing people who are doing work every day and who are devoted to the community. Well, thank you. Nichelle M. Hayes, thank you so very much for joining me on this episode. I have learned so much about the library. Um, I'm going to start calling librarians when I need to know something. <laughs> Instead of asking Google, I'm going to ask a librarian. <laughs> and you can check out our website site ndpl.org say that one more time indy i-n-d-y p-l like public library dot org thank you so much thank you so much take care thank you you too on the next episode of voices of the community we'll talk to Kristen cooper ceo and founder of the startup ladies what is the startup ladies tune in and find out Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.